Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, 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 and welcome to Peter and special guest Spencer for this anniversary episode. We are a year old just about today, aren't we, Peter? It's the 7th of Jan. Um, It's our 100th episode, and it's our year celebrated. All in one, wrapped up in one. How do you feel? Old. (laughs) A year older. (laughs) I don't think think we'd have expected to have a, a 100 episodes within the year when we first started this last year. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, neither did I. And um, to celebrate, we wanted to get somebody good in, and we we have, I think, in Spencer. He's been on before uh, in an episode, I think it was in May, from what I remember looking back, somewhere around then. Um, so it's great to have you back on the show. Um, any Seagulls over London members uh, for whom we are sponsored um, by uh, will also know you from having been a guest a couple of times there. Welcome back to the show anyway. How are you doing, Spence? I'm good to be here. It's, it's great to be here. Doing all right, despite everything. I've just realised, you know, you saying that it's been a year and whatever. So you're responsible, are you? For uh, <laughs> yeah, we plagues, didn't spend plagues from months. the east, Donald Trump, everything else. It's you know, you 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 rock up and invent this, and then we might be. We've, we've hardly won any top. games. Yeah, hardly won any games in the year. Afterwards, to, uh, well, I wasn't. To I wasn't even going to mention that bit, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's so one home victory it's... and everything like that. It's uh, you are the root of all evil. Much as <laughs> enjoyable as you are, and as lovely as you are to listen to, it's. Uh, I can't help drawing com- some uh, comparisons. <laughs> and you, well, actually, you did say off air as well that you you said um, the malaise that was sweeping through the club. We needed some kind of plague to to sweep through and. Uh, sorted out so we are blaming you actually spencer for this yeah yeah i uh, i yes yeah I, I did feel this time last year it is groundhog i actually watched groundhog day the other night because uh to me even though it's not technically a christmas film it always feels like a christmas film so i tend to watch it on dvd this time of year and uh it does feel a little bit groundhoggy with this time last year and uh, and yeah. also the year before, and what with Fulham and us being down the bottom, and you think, hang on a minute, I, I, I've lived this day before. And the thing is, I feel like I've lived this season before because I also remember, you know, being being slightly long in the tooth and remembering our four seasons in the top flight from the end of the seventies and the early eighties. 
it almost feels like that a little bit as well because um and I, and I hope this won't come to pass but we normally tended to be a bit rubbish after Christmas when we were in the top flight we were always kind of all right until Christmas New Year and then after that we tail off always remember what the 81-82 season when we were gunning for Europe and then proceeded to lose something like 13 of our last 15 games or something and just went wrong the 79-80 season was brilliant. Our first season in the top flight and we were rubbish till Christmas or November. And then after that, we just took off. And it was brilliant. There was lots of draws in there as well, but it was two points for a win then. So we were still climbing the table. But since then, the top flight and us normally after Christmas has meant just kind of crash and burn. I just hope that's not the case this time. Yeah, me too. Oh, interesting you've just said about the two points for a win. I hadn't forgotten about that, but I hadn't thought about it for quite a while. I wonder I wonder where we'd be positioned comparatively if um, we were under that system now. Maybe slightly better because uh, yeah, we've a lot got of, a hell of a lot of draws, haven't we? A hell of a lot of draws. We'd be a long way out. One point for a win and three points for a draw, then we'd be top. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many draws is it now? I don't oh. know. I know, I know we've got the most in the league. Um, yeah. We won two, so we must, we've got 13 points or 14? Now, 14. So it must be eight draws. Yeah. Eight draws. Yeah, it is eight draws. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I was going to say the most in the league course. last year as well, apparently. Yeah, problem is, it's who we've drawn against as well, isn't it? It's Burnley, it's Fulham, it's yeah. West Brom, Sheffield United, of course, as well. Those four in particular, the, the top of my head, those are probably the worst of them. And Palace as well, given how poorly Palace played on the day. You've got to um, make sides around you, they always say, particularly yeah. at home. I always remember, um, this is going to sound like his name dropping, um, which, which, of course, I am. Mercilessly, um, <laughs> talking to Gary Stevens, you know, old legendary player from yeah. uh, from the late seventies and early eighties, and we were having a natter about the uh, the eighty two eighty three season when we went down. You know, of course, reached the cup final and famously went down. And that season, I mean, we we beat Spurs at home, we beat Arsenal at home, we beat Manchester United at home, drew with Liverpool, having been two nil up. And he went, yeah, yeah, all great results. I remember we also beat West Ham three one when they were top of the league. And he said, yeah, they're all great results, but look at the results against the sides around us. And no, we just didn't beat anybody, I don't think. Mm. It's uh, all draws and stuff like that and defeats. So, um, yeah, we need to start beating some of those sides. You've not got a great record against the sides around us at all since you've been up at really. Because we lost, last season we had a poor run of results at home where we played Villa and Watford and Bournemouth and didn't beat any of them in a row in January, February. And the season before, I think we had a lot of like winnable home games second half of the season and didn't win any of them or like, yeah. only got Huddersfield. Yeah, it's not quite, I don't think it's quite as important as it used to be. I mean, I mean, going back to that 82-83 season, as Gary and I were talking about, I mean, do you know how many, off, all right, here's a quiz question for you. How many points did Albion go down on that season? Bearing in mind then it was 42 games instead of 38. But how many points do you think we had? And it was, was it two for, two points for a win? Then? No, it was, it was just gone to three then. Just gone to three. three. So three points for a win, 42 games. I reckon something like, I'm going to say 36 points. All right. Peter, what about you? Um, yeah, probably about that sort of level. 34 maybe. Yeah. No, we had 40. That season. Right. We had 40 and we finished bottom. Manchester City, who also went down, who would finish third bottom, they went down on 47 points that season. 
And stuff like that used to happen because by and large, you did, you know, all right, Liverpool and one or two other clubs did really, really well and used to, you know, win more games than lose. But they were beatable then. They were more beatable, unlike now, of course, when you've got the top four or five who win most of their games. So they tend to finish on more points and the sides down the bottom tend to survive on fewer points. So... Yeah, because it really emphasises the divide, doesn't it? went down with 40-odd in with 38 games, I think, didn't they, in that one year? When they yeah. had Joe Cole and, that, and uh, Lampard and that group, didn't they? They went, I think they got 42 points or something like that. That's right. Yeah. I think Palace, I've got a feeling Palace one year as well went down with 49. I was just going to say, I'm not sure what the points was, but Kevin Davey had on quite recently, and I think it was maybe on the podcast or off air, I can't remember, but I heard he was it, saying, yeah, yeah Panic, I think Palace went down in the year that there was an extra relegation place, something to do with the, the change of numbers of the division, yeah. and yeah. they were the team that went down then, and they did have a sizable number of points. Yeah, I'm not 49 sure how many. points. I mean, 49, 49 points now, you'd be finishing, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was 49 yeah. I mean, you know, all right, I'm not Palace's greatest kind of uh, admirer, but even I, look at, you know, you look at that and you've got to think, that is that is harsh. I mean, where would yeah. you finish on 49 points now? Mm. Halfway up the well, league? exactly. Yeah, probably. I'm very happy yeah. to finish 49 points this season. Yeah. I mean, just, just to digress slightly, I'll just remember that, actually, there was, a, there was a season in the Championship where Peterborough got relegated with 53 points. Well, yeah. That was very unlucky. Yeah, uh, that so. was. And that's, it's funny you mentioned that because on the final day of that season, God, I'm ridiculously anal when it comes to remembering stupid things. But on the final day of that season, <laughs> they played Palace away and they were leading. Um, and Palace scored two late goals. I think it was two late goals and one. But if Peterborough had won that day, they'd finished on they'd have finished on fifty six points. Oh. And as it was, yeah, as you say, they finished on fifty three, went down. Yeah. I mean, there is no goal Yeah, preserving their internal reputation as a as a pogo team and just go up and down or yo yo oh, team even. Oh, they're um, yeah, fun. Mm. It's never dull being a Peterborough fan. It's, no, it can't um, be. And they play good football, don't they? As well, yeah, so. yeah. It's, it's a bit like being a Brighton fan. I mean, by and large, I know we're struggling now and we tend to struggle when we're in the top flight. But by and large, you never really know what you're going to get when we're in the championship or even League One or even League Two in the past, dare I say it. I remember like the yeah. 96, 96, 97 season, despite the fact the club was falling apart, still thinking, oh, well, we'll do all right. We won our opening game against Chester. And before you know it, we're staring into the abyss. You don't know what to expect. And that's what I like, really. How dull to be a Liverpool supporter and just kind of wake up every morning and go, well, we're we going to finish first or second. Yeah. Well, even at the Amex in the Championship, we, we had like six seasons and we had like what, three playoffs and one one promotion and just decided to intersperse that by appointing a terrible manager in the middle of it and yep. not buying any players. And, oh, we'll go for relegation this year. So yep. we'll- Let's go for relegation this time. And, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And even, you know, even when it comes to, you know, trying going for automatic promotion, well, let's just kind of take it right to the wire and maybe miss out and go through the playoffs instead. <laughs> and, and then, of course, in the Prem, we've ultimately, not surprisingly, but we've been one of the teams that's always had to look over our shoulder so far in the Prem. And that, that brings us nicely onto the subject of uh, of what you think at the moment, Spencer, because when we last spoke was the lockdown period. Yeah. So we were in between times during last season. I think there was a lot of fears lingering around as to whether we were going to get over the line or not, because it was all up in the air. We weren't really sure. Obviously, we managed to do so. Um, yeah. We're in a similar position, I suppose, roughly speaking now, the difference is being, of course, we're at an earlier stage of the season when this lockdown's come in, both in terms of um, the time of year and also the, well, the, the number of games played even more early in the season. 
Um, so there's there's a long way to go. Um, we've we've had our fair share of bad luck. We've had some bad decisions. We've made some bad decisions ourselves yeah. um, on the pitch, and some shooting needed to have been better. Um, a mixture of reasons why we are where we are. But overall, broadly speaking, where are you at when it comes to the Albion? Are you are you angry, frustrated, hopeful, uh, despairing? Where where are we? <laughs> I think it's a bit of a mixture of everything, isn't it? It's 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 all those emotions. I mean, the Wolves game was pretty much like that. You know, you're despairing at half time, you're wondering what's going on, and then you're back to three three, and then you're angry that you know the referee hasn't allowed play to go on, and we haven't won four three. Um, it is a bit of a mixture of emotions. I mean, it's a strange one because. <sighs> Uh, I mean, as much as I, you know, I, I, I love us to do well in the top flight. I mean, in the, in the, how many years, how many years I've been a Brighton fan, we've, I've never really felt like we've belonged there. I think I've, I've, I've said this to a couple of people, I almost feel like it's kind of like going to Scarfell Pike or something. And you look at it and it's this big mountain and you go to the top and you look out and you go, oh, it's a great view. Isn't it brilliant up here? I'm really enjoying myself. And then you get the heebie-jeebies a little bit about altitude sickness. And you think, I really need to go back down to my level now and kind of find <laughs> most of and, and sit there and talk about what we've seen and talk about how enjoyable that day was. But I, I need to go down and feel safe a bit now because I feel completely out of my depth, height, whatever it is. And that's how I've always felt about us in the top flight. It's how I felt even as a kid. You know, when, you know, kind of in my early teens when, when we were up there. And it's, it's how I feel now, you know, much as I'd love us to do well. Um, we, we don't seem to kind of get on with it, dare I say it, for whatever reasons, whether it, whether it's just not us, whether it's managerial decisions, whether it's bad luck, whether it's VAR, whether it's Donald Trump, whether it's Martians from space. I don't know. I haven't got a clue, but who to blame? Or just don't blame anyone. It's maybe it's just the way it is. I don't know. Yeah. I feel much more philosophical about being where we are. I'm I'm really enjoying it. I enjoy the challenges of seeing what we can do, who we're coming up against. Obviously, seeing the big names coming down to the Amex, or at least we see them when we uh, when we can, uh, just on yeah. TV at the moment. Um, and I, I enjoy the thrill. Well, the roller coaster ride of it all. We've mentioned about the ups and downs we've had, and it's never a dull season in terms of being able to completely relax with mediocrity and mid-table in any division. Um, I, I actually don't mind it at all. I'm, I don't feel the same way. It's interesting how perspectives are different. Um, Peter, did you, where, did you sit somewhere in between the two views? Yeah, I on think that? Probably in between. I mean, I, I, I can completely get the when I'm in the Premier League, etc. And obviously you do, but I did love the championship and it's such a great league. There's so many great places to go. The grounds, I think the away grounds generally as a whole are better. The away games generally in better places, I think as a, as a whole, but I completely, I don't, obviously don't want it to go down as well. So it's kind yeah. of a, yeah, middle ground. I, mean, I wouldn't be gutted, you know, too, I obviously be disappointed if he went down, but I wouldn't, you know, be gutted. I've seen Brighton go down to the worst division for the championship. So in reality, I kind of like, it is what it is. And, you know, at some point we're going to be relegated. We're never going to be in Premier League for the rest of our existence as a, as a club, yeah. unless yeah. the end of the world comes tomorrow or something, you know. So yeah. realistically, it's going to happen at some point. So, you know, whether it happens this season or 20 years from now, we're never going to be in a, a permanent fixture in Premier League. It would just be nice to have one of those crazy, crazy, excellent seasons. 
you know that uh, that you know teams basically do when they come up. Yeah, it's like you know it, it would be, it would just be nice to be winning games. And I mean, you know, I I I know um I know you know there's a lot of been made as, as, as this one win in 2020, but I think it is only six home wins in our last 37 home league games, and this is stretching back to the end of 2018 now. And that includes a run last season of three in a row as well. I mean, we won, we beat Tottenham, Everton, and Norwich in yeah. a row. So yeah. Yeah, no so three of, three of those six came bang, bang, bang. But yeah. either side of them, there's just been long stretches, regardless of COVID, uh, where we just haven't won at home. And um, and I, th- I think, you know, I, I, I just, regardless of what league we're in, I just want to see us win a few games. We could be in nationwide north, but as long as we're winning, and as long as you can go to the pub afterwards and, and debate things, <laughs> I, I wouldn't mind so much. Yeah, I, I, think, I can ask me that because, you know, when we are in Nationwide North, everyone could go to the North Pole. I was going to say, we're unlikely to be in Nationwide North, um, geographically speaking, but I'll take the point. Well, you never know with Nationwide North. It's, it's funny, actually. We were talking, I should say to the, the listeners, we were talking about Nationwide North and South before. But Nationwide North is famous for having teams from the South in it. I mean, it's like Gloucester. Like, A lot of people were there, weren't they, as well? They yeah. were... Gloucester, Worcester. I mean, some people, I would never call Gloucester in the West Country, but some yeah. people do classify Gloucester as like the West Country. And yet it's in Nationwide North. Oxford, um, Oxford City have been in there for quite a few years as well. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. You've almost got to be south of the A4 to kind of like get in League South. Because yeah. there's a lot of London and surrounding area teams in that level. So you kind of end up with, yeah, the North being, yeah, yeah. The, the North. It must be horrendous being an away fan for one of those teams like Oxford City or Lowestoft. I mean, literally every away game is is basically yeah minimum of like two hundred mile round two hundred miles or whatever you know, to get there. But you're right, Russ. You would have to go something for Brighton to be in uh, Nationwide League um, North, wouldn't it? It's, um, <laughs> we'd have to have some serious kind of global yeah. warming or something or ice age going on there, wouldn't we? Yeah, so, definitely. We'd have, have to have Plymouth in there. Itself and becomes the South of England suddenly. We'd have to have Plymouth in there as well because Plymouth uh, famously once called us dirty northern bastards in one of their songs at, at a match, which I thought was really, quite hilarious and technically correct. Technically sort of. correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the abuse we'll get when we play Land's End away at some point as well. Yeah. Isle of Wight would have to have a team, wouldn't they, as well? Um, we do, of course, uh, know it is the National League and all fair as well, just in case anybody's. Uh, gritting their teeth about the nationwide comment. They were one of the sponsors, though, weren't they, at one point? I yeah. That's why they uh, yeah. mentioned yeah. that. Yeah. 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 But, um, it, but it in terms like of... my, uh, my second team may will be at that level next year. Anyway, Barnard are looking terrible at the moment. They're second bottom in the, in the, the National League, or whatever it's called now. Yeah. Well, you are getting that this season. I mean, some t- I, I don't know whether it's COVID and, you know, not having fans in and, and the, the weird kind of anomalies that we're starting to see in football because of that. But, you know, Funny when you when you do look at league tables, you're just like seeing some clubs like not where they're meant to be, or you would expect to see them at all. And Barnet's one of them. We were saying about Yeovil before we came on air as well. I mean, Yeovil, you tend to think, well, you know, one of the you know better kind of smaller football league teams. But when you look, no, they're not even in the football league anymore. Not just that, they're at the bottom of the conference. Yeah, well, Chesterfield yeah. have been down that sort of level to like bottom bottom six or. I think they're doing a little bit better this season, but for years they've been down the bottom of the I think the rock, yeah. yeah, the rock was setting in there pre-COVID, wasn't it, with Chesterfield? I mean, it's some other clubs yeah. are really, really Rexham. struggling without fans. Yeah, I think Barnet, I think yeah. Barnet, even though they didn't get very big crowds, they 
have lost quite a lot of money and so they've had to like kind of re- re- you know, reduce their squad and then bring in a whole new set of players, which obviously is not really working very well. And they're not the, not the first ones, but Notts County have not found it easy either. You know, it hasn't yeah. been a straight bounce back straight away. No, most of the clubs haven't, have they? I think Grimsby took a while to come back, wasn't straight away. Um, other clubs that have dropped down, Torquay, uh, although they're doing very well this season. I'd love, yeah. I would love to see Torquay come back. I really would. It's just yeah. a great away day, and I love that part of the world and everything like that. A few years ago, yeah. they they were Conference South and in massive financial problems as well. Yeah. And they, they've come up, and there'll be two promotions in probably three years if they go up, if they manage to do it. Yeah. I'd love to see them come back. I really would. It's, um, yeah. yeah, good little club. Yeah, fond yeah. memories What's... of some away days down there. Absolutely, yeah. It, it was it was a good away day. I've been a couple of times, but um, just turning it back to the Albion, just uh, in terms of just to round off what we're saying about where where the club are at the moment in terms of the, well, the team really. Um, first of all, if um, the club did neither of the things that Peter's proposing, signing a striker or getting rid of Graham, and we did get relegated, um, assuming that we haven't completely lost the dressing room, we've gone down fighting, we've maybe had some bad luck, whatever. And we've gone down. Would you stick with him in those situations? Question to both of you, really. And um, Peter first, would, would you stick with Graham Potter, assuming there's no really significantly bad issues behind the scenes going on? Probably in the sense that it would be a, he'd have a chance to work at a level that he's worked at before. He did okay, although not amazingly at Swansea. I mean, it's, it is worth noting that while he developed McBurney and Dan James and did really well with them, they then sold them and they've still improved position in the last two years compared to that. So, hmm. you know, it's, who knows what, how it would be, but I think I probably would, having God given him that long, having stick, stuck with him and taken him taking us down, I probably would stick with him. Um, mainly also because it's going to be a very, very massive upheaval, I'd imagine, anyway, with players leaving. So maybe keeping a manager at least in place is a yeah. maybe I think it's maybe often the way, isn't it? So many clubs kind of, they go down and they stick with the manager, but it's almost a kind of, you know, unwritten rule that basically it's it's, you've then got to start that following season or that first season, you know, down in the in the championship well. Uh, you know, it's like if you then get off to a bit of a bad start and, and you know, you're, you're mid-table or whatever and everything and the natives start getting restless and that's when, that's when it can get nasty. So, yeah, keep him and hopefully get off to a good start and bounce back. But it's all down to those first half dozen games, isn't it, really? Yeah, and it, I mean, it certainly seems as good an option as, as any on the face of it. If you were starting a championship campaign now for a new season now, he'd be a good candidate, wouldn't he, if you look at who else is available. Yeah. Loads of people who want the job because of a club that's raised its profile, has parachute payments, etc. Some good, good young players, the set-up and everything. But ultimately, who would we want? Um, well, yeah, maybe he's as good a choice of anybody that is realistic as, yeah. as, as anyone some, else. Something, something's got to happen, though. He needs, uh, he needs a bit of luck. Uh, although yeah. I I can't claim this um, this quote, I read something. I think it was on Twitter the other night, and somebody who I follow, I can't remember who it was, said um, compared the present situation to the film, you know, all the president's men about uh, about the Watergate, yeah, you know, break in and everything. Very 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 timely going back to Washington and kind of shenanigans going on in Washington. And there's a famous bit in that film where um, I think it's. Um, uh, Robert Redford's character says to his editor, he just says, you know, we just need a little bit of luck. We're just not having any luck. And the editor turns around to him and goes, get some. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's just like, he needs just, you know, it's you could almost expect him like going to the board at the moment saying, we just need a little bit of luck, you know, and 
and the board turning around and going, look, get some. Um, yeah. We can have all the bad luck in the world and dodgy VAR decisions and things and whatever and, and you know. Um, yeah, but yeah you make your own luck. Thing, you need it? to it's make your own luck at some point and that's what yeah. I feel has got to come in at some point over yeah. the next few Okay. I do feel sorry for him in, in the sense that when things haven't gone your way and, and a lot of it hasn't particularly been his fault to have to then traipse out in front of the media and you know there's there's nothing contentious you want to say you don't you're not sort of manager to call your players out in public but I think generally it's probably a good thing not to do yeah. that um but there's not much more you can say without um creating the opportunity for spin uh, to be made yeah. from anything you say. So it, you, you then get in this thing of you're getting the bad luck, you're getting the bad results. You're then having to to say stuff that's very generic and lip servicey and, and underwhelming. You, and that, that feeds start, into yeah. this thing of yeah. people wanting to get on at you, doesn't it? Because you're yeah. not saying anything spiky. I mean, Lord, it's, it would be you know impossible. I'm not saying that Potter sounded like a broken record, but in that kind of scenario, you, you can't help but start sounding like yeah. that. Week in after week after week after week, it's um, yeah. Yeah. you do keep saying we're going to learn, we'll have to learn from this, we'll learn from this sort of thing. Like, eventually, yeah, people have picked up on it. that, haven't they? Yeah, like, yeah, um, learn quite quickly. Well, it's hard, yeah. to, it's, it's hard to see really, kind of at the moment, where uh, I was going to say hard to see where the next few points are coming from. I mean, that home game against Fulham is just looking pivotal. Well, Leeds away as well. I know, I know Leeds are doing better than something, you know, like maybe. Maybe but they're doing a lot better than us, but they're still a team that are quite open and you know, you can win games against them. And Calvin Phillips is missing as well, which is a big one. You're right, Peter. I think I think with that game it really depends which Leeds turns up. Yeah. I mean we could either I I could see us losing that four one or maybe winning yeah. three 0 or something or pretty much what Leeds' season has been, doesn't it? I mean they don't have yeah. any four nils or whatever or absolutely. Yeah. It's I just um I had Raymond on the last podcast was saying just the same thing. That's a really unpredictable game. Also on that podcast, I mentioned that, um, you know, part of the problem is scoring goals and part of it is defensive lapses. The scoring goals, if you look at it in isolation, if you look at our stats in the table, are not bad. We've got, I think it's 21 goals. I think we've scored three less than City, albeit City have got a couple of games in hand. We've got far more than some of the other clubs around us, including, I think, Newcastle. Uh, we've got more goals. Um, so it's in isolation, it's not a problem. We did get Sorry? eight in the first four, didn't we? Because we won three 0 at Newcastle, and yeah, yeah. So since yeah. then, I think it's been a lot. Yeah, it's so, exactly. It's it also much... feels like there's been certain games, like West Brom at home, where in that first half we just had so many chances and just couldn't score. So yeah. you yeah. know, all right, and we got one, but it was the ones that go missing, and then of yeah. course yeah. they come back. And I mean, that game, West Brom could easily have won it. Gone in, and we we could have been out of sight, and we've actually only been one up or nil nil or whatever, and then the other teams come out second half. Yeah. Been much better, and we've not really. I mean, Arsenal was a classic, wasn't it? We were, we were dominant first half without really testing the, um, the keeper. We, we we really played, you know, pretty well generally. Um, well, and I then think they changed it at half time, we couldn't deal with it. It is being, yeah, it's, it's, I, I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant to say there's been games where we've been dominant because I mean, um, yeah, you know, we've, uh, it's, it's, you can be dominant and not create too much up front. And I think other teams have also worked us out. I mean, you know, it's very easy to just sit back and let us pass the ball and keep the ball and have a high possession rate in our own half. But they pretty much know that eventually, you know, as soon as they win the ball back, they, if they can attack us at pace, then we can falter. So I think, you know, sometimes when people say, yeah, but we had 55, 60, 65% possession, 
it's a bit of a, you know, it's a bit, it's not necessarily, you know, the true story of what's kind of going on. Yeah, perception is pointless without, yeah, territory. Yeah. You could, without it's a cutting edge. Assessment and, yeah. and, and scoring goals always, if you can't keep them out. I've, <laughs> the always, been, oh, I've always been sceptical. I mean, my, I, I don't do so many of the old Saturday reporting so much anymore. I'm not, I'm not on the beat so much as I used to be. I do, I still cover the old game. You know, not so much Brighton, but elsewhere around the country. But I mean, my um, my kind of tours of duty and whatever spanned going from newspaper journalism when you just rock up with your notepad and your whatever and you'd file your copy to the era where, you know, you, you turn up and you sit down in the press box and people start throwing pages and pamphlets and statistics at you. I just wasn't really interested. It was all like, you know last goal since the lunar eclipse or our last home win against this, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't care. So some of them are interesting stats and quite fascinating, but most of them are just utter, utter rubbish. You can do anything with statistics. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, they tend to do my head in a little bit. They say about lies, damn lies and statistics. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, you know, okay. Sport runs on stats now, you know, it's, it's a different world. I mean, the day, the days of kind of when, you know, Bill Shankly used to say, look, there's just 11 of you and you're going that way are kind of over and done with. Although I, I am waiting for some manager at some point to have a bit of a eureka moment where we do go back to that, you know, some kind of Wimbledon play from the 1980s where somebody goes, I know, we'll just launch the ball long, put a load of people up in the opposition penalty area, stuff all this tippy-tappy nonsense. We're just going to give the ball to a big old lurch of a goalkeeper who's going to launch it down Longfield, put it in the mixer, go. At some point, <laughs> at some point, football will go that way again, and it will be classed as agricultural but revolutionary. Yeah. Well, at the moment, we're playing a, a better brand of football than that. Um, in yeah. terms of how we do this season, final final word on on the league side of things for this pod is to ask um, how you think we're going to how it's going to pan out for us. Uh, do we need to stick or twist? And um, and would you get rid of Potter yourself um, at, this, at this stage or, or at a later stage, should things continue? Well, at a later stage, I mean, you've, you've got at this moment in time, stick. I feel, yeah. you know, if we weren't creating anything, if we weren't scoring goals, if it was like towards the end of, of Chris Hutton's tenure where, you know, it was just, you know, we weren't even scoring and, you know, not just that, but we weren't even having shots in game, then it would be untenable. But I think as it is now, you know, we are scoring, we are, we are doing stuff, you know, give them a little bit more time, certainly. Don't pull the trigger just yet. Um, obviously, the closer it gets to kind of, you know, the end of the season, if we're still in the same position, what do you do? Do you then twist? Do you then get somebody else in to kind of do a bit of a red adair effect and, you know, parachute us out? Time will tell, I suppose. But um, I think is the sort of person who does that, you know, just a short term, short term fix and that sort of thing, bringing in some random for ten games to keep us yeah. up. Yeah, it's it's commonplace in football. It's 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 as long as football's been there or football managers have been there, you know, it's it's often the way you bring a manager in just to kind of help you do a bit of a rescue act at the end of the season. But uh, at the moment, I would stick. I see enough positives and enough reason for optimism that things can be can be turned. We were discussing the day whether he might do well with a more experienced assistant or or a more experienced person on the coaching staff, someone who's got you know because I mean all of his team have, have followed him round, so haven't really got Premier League experience. So whether they, he'd do well with 
to add some I think, of that. To I think it would. I think there's a lot in that. I mean, I mean, we're we're talking just now, just ahead of um, you know Sunday's game at Newport, and Newport have a very good young manager called Michael Flynn, mm-hmm. who uh, I can't praise more highly enough. I mean, I think he's. I hope he's destined for great things in the game. But he, um, when he first came in, um, he worked alongside Lenny Lawrence for a couple of years. You know, ex Charlton manager. I think he was at Leeds. You know, most people Lisbon. associate Lenny as uh, as a Charlton. Who was just kind of Brightonian, old... isn't he? By the way, yeah, Spencer. yeah, he's actually yeah. From Brighton. He was, yeah. yeah, he was just an old, steady hand alongside him, and 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 you know, made a uh, not just kind of like helped Michael's career, but also kept Newport in not only in the league, but turn them into quite a force in League Two. And, you know, the team that we see now who have developed a regular kind of, you know, knack for kicking decent sides out of the FA Cup. Um, so it can work, I, I, I think. And, and there's no shame in having a kind of older hand there alongside you. You know, it's no admission of guilt or anything or that you're doing anything wrong. It's just that uh, so much rides now on the Premier League. But I, th- I think to have an older, uh, as you said, Pete, to have some kind of older, you know, kind of wise head there. But who would you have? Who would it be? Yeah, I don't know. That's the question, isn't it? And I'm, I'm not sure who is available currently, or but there must be someone who can come in and, you know, maybe got maybe not got had a manager's job for a while, and uh, maybe Alan Pardew could come. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to no. say something. Uh, no, Gus Poyer. <laughs> As a number two, could you imagine now? That's quite a part of the <laughs> influence can be. <laughs> right. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? God. I think yeah. that, you know, the, the, the one reason why you don't see it so much, I think, is because, you know, football has changed and the way we play football and this, you know, the possession game or whatever has changed so much in the last five, ten years. that a lot of those older, wiser heads are now seen as kind of like from a, a, a kind of antiquated dinosaur age, you know, but it's not really so much about the style of play. It's more just about the, you know, the sci- psychology of management, you know, about keeping your head, about how to deal with players. Things like that will never change. You know, it's up to the manager to decide how you play and whatever. But the old wise head alongside you can just kind of, you know, just, just he's there to whisper in your ear more about, you know, being a person rather than a manager. So, I don't know, an Alan Kerbishley or somebody like that. Yeah, that's not a bad show. Kerbs went away from the game and he's never come back. I interviewed yeah. him. I interviewed him for Brighton's program a few years back, and I said, "You know, what was the score there?" And he said, "Well, I always, you know, he said I turned down quite a lot of jobs, and I always thought at some point the right job will come along, and then before you know it, the right job hasn't come along, and you've been out of work for six years." And of course, the longer it goes on, the less like people, the less your name's mentioned in terms of the jobs if it does come along. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, George Graham and people like that. I mean, George Graham was a victim of a, of, of a different kind of like, you know, changing the guard. I mean, his very disciplinarian kind of no-nonsense style of management. Same, same as Graham Souness, you know, were great kind of in the 80s and what have you. But as the 80s gave way to the 90s and then, of course, you know, player power and agent power and whatever, you know, it's not just the manager's way. You've got to be a man-manager now, not just kind of shout at players, which mm, they were... Yeah. Which is where other old school managers like Neil Warnock actually do flourish, and Ian Holloway. They're quite old fashioned in some senses, but they they do have that motivational element as well. They're not just 
disciplinarians. Uh, they're probably the only people that are fearing them. They're probably the referees thinking, oh, God, what are they going to say now? I think Especially with Warnock. Brilliant. Warnock is just, yeah, he's a, he's a class apart. I mean, would I want him necessarily as my manager? Probably not. But, you know, God, he's interesting. And I've, I've got to say, I mean, I, I was living up in Yorkshire and working for the Observer uh, while, uh, you know, that during that one season when Sheffield United were up in the top flight under him. Hmm. And um, he was never short of entertaining, shall we just say, in his post-match press conferences and everything. And uh, yeah, I've got a lot of time for the guy. That's what you want. Yeah. You want characters. You do, you know, yeah. in football. You don't want Middlesbrough. You still take a Middlesbrough from being down the bottom and struggling to being yeah. in the playoffs and in around the top. And I'm He's good at what he does, isn't he? He's, He's had more promotions from that division than anyone else. And yeah. there's every chance he could pull it off again this year. He's a, He's a great motivator. You just yeah. look at the way he talks to players. Hmm. And he, he treads that good line of... He's very good at kind of um, motivating players and giving them a necessary bollocking that doesn't go too far. You know, of course, in the modern game, you know, if, if you give players too many bollockings, they just moan to their agent and they want to leave. I think uh, Warnock knows how far to take it with certain yeah. players. And he'll, he'll wind up the opposition and they're, they're, he's yeah. someone everyone loves to hate, of course, but he will, he will do that thing of he'll say... Um, yeah, they'll lose two one at home or something, and he'll he'll say, yeah, oh, yeah, we can't can't be happy with the lads. They gave it all. They're all um, a few bits didn't break for us, and then he'll make a snidey comment about the ref or the yeah. how lucky the other team was or something. Uh, but he'll he'll basically put a, a positive thrust on things for his players to to take from the game, unless they've had an absolute mare, obviously. Oh um, yeah, but they rarely once, do. He told me once as well that he always thought at some point he would end up managing Brighton. I don't think he said it because he want you know that's what he thought I wanted to hear because from what I remember at the time I don't think he even knew I was a Brighton supporter as well. This was like on a journalistic level. He yeah. said um, you know he always used to love playing at the at the Goldstone and one of his the best goal he had ever scored. Um, and I've heard people talking about this. He scored I think he was playing for Barry back in the seventies or something and he scored a, a 25, 30 yard rocket at the Goldstone and ran around going mad afterwards celebrating. So he always used to say, oh, that goal, that goal. And I always thought I'd go back there because he used to have a thing about managing coastal kind of towns. He loves yeah. the coast. You know, he's lived by the coast for many years, you know, Scarborough, Plymouth, what have you and stuff. And he just said, I always thought at some point the call would come from Brighton and it never did. Yeah. I think so I've maybe... heard quoted as well, actually, separate to that, somewhere else in the press. I think he at one, one point said the same thing. Mm. I've got it in my head from somewhere. Never did. Another another manager who, of course, um, divides opinion is is um, Mr. Allardyce, Hippo, as I call him. Is he Hippo the hypocrite? And um, this is something that was actually a few days ago, but um, we forgot to mention it. Peter, you you were going to uh, call up, call him up on this, weren't you? There's a quote from the 14th of May, 2016, which said, "We um, speaking of um, uh, Brexit, he said, we have this massive problem of producing our own players in this country. It's probably why we should vote out of the EU. If we can vote out, then we won't have to take UEFA law because that is crap. Sam Allardyce, then Sunderland manager. Fast <laughs> forward, of course, January the 4th, 2021, West Brom manager Sam Allardyce I found three players already who were capable of coming here and they're not allowed. It's a shame. It's not so much the pandemic. It's the change of rules because of Brexit. <laughs> well, the careful what you wish for things back in yeah. force there, isn't it, guys? Well, um, while we're on Brexit off, off as a kind of a sideline, might be a good time to mention a certain player who is now here 
due to Brexit. Indeed. Yeah, it's, it's worked well for us. Percy Tao, so just literally today, as we record this on Thursday, 7th of Jan, um, he's, it's been announced that he has had all the clearance from the government. Um, he's allowed to play. He's already been training with us this morning. And Graham Potter in his press conference has said he is available and likely to feature in some capacity in the game against Newport on Sunday evening. So Percy Tao is with us. Welcome, Percy, if you're listening to this, Percy which Tao, you're probably not. The first benefit of Brexit. Yeah, <laughs> I tell you what, yeah. if he does make his debut at Newport, what a place to make your debut. I think yeah. um, I think he might be getting off lightly, should we just say, if he ends up going down and, 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 there, and he plays and there is no crowd because Rodney Parade in front of just six or seven thousand people, it feels like 60 or 70 thousand people. So, uh, yeah, good yeah. luck, Percy. Yeah, we'll talk about Newport and Part 2, but they are, there is a cracking atmosphere there from what I've seen. It's annoying. Peter and I are both trying to tick Newport off our, our 92 list. And I've been waiting for years for Newport and a small handful of other clubs to finally um, get Brighton at home in the, in the Cup. Sod's Law, of course. I knew even before the draw came out, I knew it was going to be one of two clubs I wanted to get to would, would be the team that we draw against. And sure enough, bloody Newport. The one year I can't go... <laughs> We had the, more, isn't it? Yeah, we had the same thing. Me, I mean, I mean for, for people listening, I, I haven't lived in Sussex for many, many years now. I'm, I've lived now at the moment, I'm in Cardiff, so just across the you know South Wales coast from Newport. And um, I looked at my lad who's 14, the goalkeeper, with about, I think there were about 14, 15, 16 teams left in the hat. I just looked at him and he looked back at me and he read my mind. He went, it's going to be Newport, isn't it? I just <laughs> said, I've just got this funny feeling. He said, I've had it for a few, you know, I've had it since they started the draw. And yeah. lo and behold. Yeah, like when the last, like, four out, last, the second last? Yeah. I think it was the second last draw. Yeah. yeah I think it was from three league, two sides. I think it were left, I think, at one point. Yeah. Yeah. Draw. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so, there we go. Yeah, if Percy plays there, good luck to him. It's um, hmm. it's uh, rough and ready, shall we say, with or without fans. With fans, it's very rough. I thought I read something earlier that they're going to play a rugby game now on Saturday. I mean, I know they play rugby there, but I, yeah. I read that they're actually having a game on Saturday of rugby, and then well, we're the, playing Sunday. The pitch now, I don't know. Do you want to cover this now, Russ, or do you want to wait? Or should we do it? Um, yeah, we'll probably, uh, we, we've mentioned it. So might as well, let's speak on that aspect at the moment. All right, uh, well, probably go for that now. Yeah. I, I, I mean... Peter, it's um it's a strange one, Rodney Parade, because um uh, Newport County don't just share with one rugby club there, they share with two. Mm. There's um there's uh the Newport Gwent Dragons, or the Dragons as they're called, and then there's the old Newport team, the amateur team from the days before you know rugby went professional, they play there as well, and then there's Newport County. So you've got three teams, two rugby and one football playing on it. And a few years ago, I mean, the, the pitch was just like the kind of thing you'd see in a you know, World War One black and white photo. It really was. There wasn't a blade of grass on it. It was it was just a you know a disgrace of a pitch. Um they ripped it up, relayed it, that didn't really work. Then they ripped it up again, relayed it, and it's better. But again, you're talking January. It's South Wales. It rains a lot in the summer in South Wales, so you can imagine what it's like now down here. Uh, and they're playing rugby on it on Saturday. So... It, and the game last weekend was called off for the weather, wasn't it? For frozen yeah. 
yeah. I think there's a question mark over the rugby for, for for Saturday anyway, isn't there? And I think there was an article in the August saying it would be better if that can get postponed, but then the pitch could be ready for the next day. That would obviously suit us the best because it would least um, affect us um, having... I think, having I think the thing is as well is that uh, it's, there's a lot of politics down here in kind of uh, Welsh sport as well. And um, mm. you tend to find that, uh, I think I'm still right in saying unless something's changed, that... Um, the ground is actually owned by the Welsh Rugby Union. So there is a general feeling amongst, amongst Newport County fans that rugby gets the upper hand there. You know, if there's a, if, if, if it's push comes to shove, the rugby gets the go ahead, whether or not there's a game, a football game the following day or not. Um, yeah. and I so know would they, they be looking, would they, they be looking to like move then? Yeah, well, yes, but it's, it's you know, they've only, I say they've only just come back into the Football League. I mean, it's been seven or eight years now. They haven't got a lot of money. They haven't got a huge fan base. They've got a, a very loyal, small core, core support. But, you know, even on the, on the big FA Cup, you know, kind of runs they've been on over the last few seasons, they make money from TV rights, but it's not as though you can then get twenty, thirty thousand through the gates. You know, there's a limit there to what they can get in. So they haven't made as much money as maybe people would expect. So they're not able to save and bank money that would possibly yeah. kind of, you know, get a stadium in, you know, a yeah. new stadium. So it's it would be lovely to see them in this new stadium because I think they're a kind of club that could, you know, could could thrive if they did. But in the in the current circumstances, they do they're doing brilliantly to be where they are towards the top of League Two. Hmm. Yeah, they're playing some decent football, as you said. Michael Flynn's good manager. We'll we'll talk a bit more about them in part two, the short shorter second part of the pod. But just to, just to steer it back to um, villains of the piece, we're mentioning the likes of Warnock and <laughs> oh, yeah. people love to hate. Um, someone else they love to hate, another pantomime villain. Before we go on to a real villain in a minute, is um is Jose Mourinho. I don't know if you saw before the the cup semi final where Spurs, of course, beat Brentford to get into the uh, cup final, the League Cup final. Uh, there was a quote where he said um, before the cup semi um, that it's not all about me winning the cup three times. The second half of the sentence, which suggests that it very much is all about him. It's so funny the way he words stuff. It's brilliant. Um, he knows perfectly well what he's doing, doesn't he? What he's saying, <laughs> yeah. he really does. I don't yeah. think he cares either. No, I don't think so. And I think on that exact same theme, the real villain of this week, we have to mention it's not a politics podcast, but we, we can't really avoid mentioning what's happened in the last 24 hours in the state, the real villain who also knows exactly what he's doing in terms of what he's posted, what he said. Um, essentially, a siege took place at the Capitol uh, building in Washington. Uh, fans of Trump incited by Trump to um, to march on and then to break into the Capitol building um, eventually culminated in four people losing their lives. Um, I haven't caught the news this afternoon, so I'm not sure exactly what happened with the, the three others but the first one the lady that lost her life was she she broken in and apparently um you know was shot and yeah. later later died of her injuries apparently one of the others i think might have been might have tasered himself by accident i'm hearing which so it sounds like a sort of comedy horror moment doesn't it um when he was trying to climb up somewhere but i mean for this to happen in a first world country um i mean there's i think it's gone through four or five stages of extraordinary events um him being running as a serious uh, candidate for the primaries was extraordinary and ridiculous and repulsive at the same time for him to then win them um and then win the election uh for what's then gone on since 
through his candidate uh, through his presidency um and then particularly what's happened in the latter stages with losing the second election denying that he's lost it and then culminating in him inciting violence um in a first world country having a coup on your capitals um on the capitol building uh I, I, i'm just lost for words virtually yeah, um, yeah. it's extraordinary isn't it I don't think, you know, people are saying, I mean, at the moment, it's what he's got 12 days left of his presidency and then thank mm. God for that, you know, he'll go. But I don't think he'll go. Even yeah, he's not going away, though, is he? He's a man with a voice. Uh, he's yeah. a man, unfortunately, whether you like it or not, with with a degree of support. How much support? I don't know. Uh, you know, it'd be interesting to know how many people who did vote for him in the election are, are, are thinking, well, if we could run the election now, I would vote some other way. Mm. Uh but regardless, he's still got a degree of support there. Uh, yeah. And, um, and you know, they are the disenfranchised, I suppose. They're the people who feel let down by traditional politics in America. And they're not going to be quiet. I suppose it's up to the news outlets whether they're going to, you know, whether they're going to give them the airtime and whether they're yeah. going to give Trump the airtime. Because he's just gonna... ago, you, you kind of said that, the, you know, I've organised a TV show pretty much mirroring what's happened the last five years. You'd have been told it was far too ridiculous with Trump, Brexit <laughs> and COVID yeah. and all that sort of thing. If you had a show that went through the station of all those different things and then culminating in what happened yesterday as well and all through last year with COVID and all that, it's just with a president saying, you know, yeah. inject yourself with bleach. Yeah. Yeah, it does I seem like a comedy I, my, drama, doesn't it? I don't know whether it was my, my journalistic you know, kind of, ooh, you know, looking for, there's got to be something else here or whatever. But when I was watching it last night and, you know, the lack of security and everything like that, and mm. my, my immediate reaction was, I wonder whether that was kind of half deliberate. Mm. I wonder whether um, they kind of stood back and let Trump through his supporters do what they did so they can, you know, literally hang themselves. You know, if, if, if you want to expose somebody for being the narcissistic nutter that he is, then mm-hmm. let him and his supporters go ahead and do what they did yesterday and then show it to your country and to the world and give them enough rope, really. And they did. They took it and they, they yeah. showed themselves for what they are, which mm. is just bloody hooligans. Really. Possibly, but the, by the same token, I mean, there's a lot of people, I think, in, in the political sphere who are pretty embarrassed by what their countries, um, demonstrated to the world as well so there's kind of i think there's long-term damage being done there uh, yeah. both from what's happened inter- internally beforehand and what's happening now yeah yeah um, it was a, even if even if my hunch is right yeah. I mean, it was only a bit of a mm, i don't know i mean it's a risky strategy to play yeah. full stop and i don't think we've seen the last of it either i mean he's still got no. 10 11 12 days there yeah and he's still he, he might he, he'll still try and run won't he for another can he run for another term four years later uh, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that ship sailed now after yesterday. Yeah. I think maybe Hopefully you, know, so. you know. I, yeah. I, but the thing is, he split the Republican Party anyway. It's yeah. really odd. I mean, there's there's the there's the old Republican Party and there's Trump's Republican Party. So, you know, I mean, that's good news, I suppose, if you're a Democrat, because the Republicans are not going to get elected. They're not going to get back in for for. A few terms, I don't think now. Not not as things stand at the moment. But yeah, yeah. I the think Georgia the votes have is, been very yeah, the, main, now, the main thing is just let's just get through the next few days without him doing anything. Yeah, 
I mean, he's been he's or the National Guard. Just... To have an American president sort of banned from Twitter for twelve hours, having a block on his account. I mean, yeah, I mean, just until on both Facebook and Twitter until at least when he when, when he leaves office. Yeah, Facebook have pulled um, pulled a, a video stuff, haven't they, from from his account? You just think for for it to have got to that stage, how bad has it got? You know, it just it is incredible. But the, it, was, it was it was amusing to start with. I think the fact that Trump got in. I mean, I wasn't one of those who got all high and mighty and went, "Oh, what's the world coming to?" I I think you know, there's, to to an extent, you get the politicians you deserved, and I think. People were fed up with the Washington elite in the same work, the way that many people were fed up with the Westminster elite in this country. Yeah. That's, you know, how Boris got in and, you know, the populist vote. But I think it was obvious from, from early on that, you know, Trump was just running it as the Trump show. And it's just got, yeah. that joke isn't funny anymore, as Morris no. once said. The divisions caused, I mentioned on a previous pod a long time about sort of the, the, the Black Lives Matter stuff, how there's a, a a version of sort of civil war almost created by the, yeah. the, the level of binary division that was going on both sides of the Atlantic, but it's on a, such a more exaggerated scale in the States. And it, yeah. for us, it was to do with Brexit and other issues. Uh, for them, it's, it's, it's over much deeper set, longer term kind of raw elements. And it seems to me that it's, uh, you know, he, he's, he's churned up all the dregs. He's created, he's brought back and reprised all sorts of elements you just really never want to see again. And as I mentioned, a first world country to call themselves that and some of the stuff that's going on and the, the imbecilic, immature and stupid um, behaviour of people um, in the country is, is just astonishing. It really is. I think the saddest thing is that, you know, it only seems five minutes ago that, you know, Obama was being inaugurated and Rita Franklin yeah. was, you know, yeah. uh, singing yeah. on the steps and you see all the crowds there out in front by the Lincoln Memorial and everything and, and you think, wow, you know, well done America, fair play. And then here we are, eight years later, nine years later, and you just think, yeah, I mean, they're talking about it being one of America's darkest, darkest days. Mm. And this is, you know, a country that's had its fair share of ups and downs, you know, and it's mm. 230, 240 years. So I don't know where it goes from here. I really don't. I yeah. really don't. And I'm not so, too sure whether the next pro- uh, prime minister, I was going to say prime minister, the next president is the right man. I mean, hmm. I think his main the main thing about Biden is he's not Trump. Yes, yeah, and that's <laughs> yeah, say, but, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I mean that was what people were saying, and we were saying during the election, wasn't it? And um, mm. no, I mean it's unlikely he will have the the legs to go for a second term of office. Mm. Um, but yeah, anybody other than Trump, get anybody other than Trump in there at the moment, even uh, even Big Sam. Or, <laughs> or anybody, just get anybody in. Warnock. Can you imagine <laughs> save the USA delegation to second to a second world country? It can, it's Big Sam. <laughs> that would be funny if we got Warnock in there, wouldn't it? You know, you'd, you'd see, you know, uh, go, go go into the White House and you see all the pictures on the walls, and there's Clinton, there's Jimmy Carter, and there's Ronald Reagan, and there's, Look with his uh, with his granny face, Warnock. Uh, Neil Warnock. I, I could do a really good job here, me. <laughs> Oh dear. Well, on on that slightly cheerier note on the subject in general, we'll um, take a break. In the shorter part two, we'll just talk through what we reckon is going to happen at the weekend with the Newport game, throw in a few uh, cup cliches, I'm sure, along the way, and any other business. So until then, stay tuned, guys. Back in a mo.
And welcome back to part two of this special anniversary episode, our first year of doing the pod complete and its 100th episode as well. We are, Peter and I, that is, <laughs> are with the man clapping in the background, Spencer Vignes, sports writer, Albion fan, Cardiff resident. Um, and it's on the subject of Newport that we're going to get to in just a moment because it's cup weekend. And if I may just quickly indulge, I'm going back to Dan Tester's book on this day. A couple of quick extracts from there. There's quite a few for the 7th of January, which is today's day. Um, one reads, David Coleman um, commented on the Albion from the Goldstone for the first time for BBC's Sports Night show. I don't know if you remember football being on there. Manchester United won the FA Cup third round replay 2-0 in front of 26,915. It was the second of three games against the Red Devils in just seven days. That was 1981, which I think Spencer's already probably nodding at. Um, yeah. The other extract is um, from 1967, um, when Albion, again, it's a cup theme here, Albion thumped Southern League Bath City 5-0 in a Goldstone second round FA Cup match. Local boy Eric Whittingham, sorry, Whittington, I think it is, um, grabbed two. As does, um, I think it says, Scott Brian Taus and Dave Turner netted yeah, once. Yeah. 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 So I don't know if you remember or have knowledge of any, either of those two events, first of all, Spencer. Um, well, the, the latter one in the 60s, no, even that's bit before my time. But yeah, I remember. Might be. I was trying to trip you up there. The Manchester United games of, yeah, was it 8081? Yeah, it was 8081. Mm. Always, it's funny. Chris, Christmas, New Year of seventy nine, eighty, eighty, eighty one, always blur. But yeah, we played them three times. I think mm. drew once and lost the other two or something. But yeah, always yeah. remember uh, we played United that season at home and they thumped us four one. And Joe Jordan scored the opener in front of the North Stand on a really, really blustery kind of October, November night. And he scored, and he, you know, Joe Joe Jordan was this, uh, you know. For those who can't remember, he was this scary-looking Scottish centre-forward with no teeth. And he ran round to where we were standing in the West Stand, me and my mates, down the front. And he ran round and stood in front of us with his arms up like this kind of Viking warrior and his teeth out. We were like, oh, God, Zeus! That was a scary kind of man right in front of us. And there we were on TV. The following uh, following day, yeah, it was like Joe Jordan. Joe Jordan gets his head, runs round, and I'm thinking, crikey, we're going to be on TV here. And he stops right by us, and there we were. Oh, Excellent. Well, very, very rarely was I ever on TV other than just as a blur. I always looked out when I thought the camera might have been focusing on the area. I was, I was always seemed to be in big crowds, and I was just a blur in a, in a splodge of of supporters um a good view of me you know when a joe, a, a joe scored his last minute winner at forest oh you and your dad isn't it yeah. the corner flag to celebrate you can yeah. quite clearly see me and my dad kind of celebrating in the in the distance on that on the uh on the thing there when it when it, when it kind of pans out and i yeah. also I remember being on the football league show at one point when um we were at cheltenham in a game where the chip fan the chip fan set on fire oh the- yeah yeah, I was at that game. See us, yeah. we could see one of the goals. You could see we could we were like standing right at the front, and you could see us quite easily. <laughs> I've, I have one in Basilic and uh, episode actually. I did appear in quite a close-up view. It was the Luton Johnson Paints game, which is a horrible event anyway. Oh, God, bad man. result. 
Yeah, I think it went. I think it went into extra time first. Yeah, I think it was. and then penalties, wasn't it? it was... And it was at that point where the, the cameras cut into the crowd, and I noticed one was pointing towards me. So I was just doing this full full to camera. Come on, kind of both arms pumped in the air. Looked absolutely ridiculous, or at least in my mind, it did when I saw it later on. Loads of text messages. Oh, just seen you on TV. Oh no, it's shouldn't have done that. Funniest, one of my funniest TV memories of that is actually of, of me not being on telly at an Albion game. <laughs> it goes back to. I mean, there was a time, hard, hard as it is to believe, when basically live football basically was uh, the World Cup whenever it came around every four years and the FA Cup final. That was it, pretty much. That's all yeah. you got. And the first game, I pretty much right in saying, ever to be televised live in its entirety that wasn't an FA Cup final was Brighton versus Liverpool in the 83-84 season. When Liverpool won the league, they won the League Cup. They won the European Cup. They won local tiddlywinks and the Darts League <laughs> and the whatever leagues. But they we put them out of the FA Cup. And um, we all knew that game was going to be live on TV. And it was it was quite, and you know, it, it came off the sports pages onto the news pages for that reason. And me and my mate Richard Levitt, we got there at like some ungodly early hour. It was played on a Sunday at the Goldstone Ground. We got there really early. I don't know why. It wasn't a sellout. But we got there really early, went in, and we spotted Jimmy Greaves uh, in the old East Terrace. And I, I just, you know, not backwards and coming forwards, I went straight over this. All right, Jimmy, all right. And I thought they were going to do these live games a bit like kind of it was going to be like a, a, a Radio One show where you could do, you know, dedications and whatever and stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, Jimmy, great fan, blah, blah, blah. I was 13, 14 at the time. Oh, can you say hello to my mum and dad back home in Warnham and whatever? And my mates at Forest Boys School in Horsham. And he was like, oh, sorry, son. Can't do that. We've got to do it this way and whatever. He said, if I had my way, I'd say hello to her. He was brilliant. He was lovely. Absolutely lovely. But we weren't on television at all. So we didn't get on telly. But I just remember Greavesy being absolutely marvellous. And, of course, we smashed Liverpool 2-0. And that was... Yes. It's, it's, it's still to... to this day, whenever anyone says, what do you think Brighton's greatest result ever has been? I think that game. Brighton 2, Liverpool 0, 83-84, fourth round of the FA Cup. And that was when Liverpool were as good as they yeah. had ever been. And, we yeah. we kind of scraped past them the previous year. We won away and on the way to the final, didn't we? But that was, that was just made it, just got the result. Whereas this game, we actually really... Oh, really we did, were did was, run them around, didn't we? I mean, we? a lot of it's funny speaking to players who were on both sides that day. Um, and Lauro, Mark Lawrenson was, of course, a Liverpool player by then, and they really missed Graham Souness, who went off with an injury after about 20 25 minutes. Uh, and I know all the Brighton players, so I've spoken to most of that team in the years since. And the, you know, the sight of Souness going off because he had such gravitas, he was such a player, you know, he was an enforcer and could leave his put his stud in, but he was also a hell of a player. And him going off gave them a real lift. And we, you know, got until half-time, nil-nil on merit. And the second half just tore them apart. It was just mm. just brilliant. Delight uh, to behold, wasn't it? Mm. Oh, they, we, we, yeah, it was brilliant. Jerry, yeah, Jerry Ryan going in on the keeper, rounding Grovelar and putting it in. But the second one's my favourite. Remember Steve Penny, you know, yeah, just a top, top player. Got the ball in the middle slotted the ball through to beat the offside trap and um, Terry Connor ran on and one-on-one Grobola and just just struck the most perfect second goal and place just went yeah. bonkers. 
That was in front of the North Stand, wasn't it? I think. Yeah, as well. Both Second of them, half. Yeah. Yeah. Played yeah. up, it's slightly uphill. You know, there used to be a mm. little, a, a slight slope to the Goldstone. Yeah. And yeah, we scored both going uphill in the second half into the North Bank. And, oh, Lovely days, happy days. Uh, well, we mentioned those cup games in the on the stay stuff because uh, our next match is against Newport. Now, um, we were talking just off air about some um, second teams, and I mean, as a lot of people are quite well, sometimes scornfully critical of anyone that says they've got a second team or a third team or anything like that. Um, and I think we, we were saying, Spencer, you were kind of more or less in that camp. Um, but now you kind of do have one, don't you? Well, yeah, scornfully, I, w- I would have, um, I w- you know, if, if we'd been, you know, talking in a pub and you come up to me like 10, 15 years ago and said, oh, I've got a second team, I'd have turned my back on you and walked away. I would not have been interested. But I have developed a bit of a second team. I mean, you know, I live in Cardiff now, worked on the sports beat for a long time as a journalist. So I haven't got to, see, you know, don't get to see the Albion so much these days. And my kids both play sport as well. So you know, it was like I was looking for a team to kind of adopt, you know, go to after my, you know, so that my, my, my lad, who's 14 now, but when he was a bit younger, it was like, well, you know, what's a good local team in South Wales who we can go to after he's finished playing and have a shower and we can get out and see a game? Yeah. You know, you're not going to get to the Midlands or to London or to, or, or to the Amex or whatever in time to see Brighton. So I didn't want to take him to Cardiff because my memories of going to see Cardiff are horrendous. Always had a bit of an issue with Cardiff City. Mm. So I thought, right, Newport, let's start going to Newport. And that was 2013. And we'd probably go to about, started off about half a dozen games every season. That's probably gone up to about about a dozen every season. And yeah, they're my second team. They are my second team. It's um, They're polar opposites, the Albion, mm. really, and Newport. One plays in a lovely kind of plush stadium and whatever, and the you know, the the other team play at Rodney Parade, which is the the, the opposite of that. It's 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 a rugby ground first and foremost. It's unwelcoming. It's uh, I mean, it's very open, isn't it? Open and exposed. Open, it is a yeah. throwback to another world. Yeah. But you know what? I love it. I absolutely love it. Its capacity is about seven thousand. But you tend to find that about half that crowd sing. So half that number sing. There's drummers in there. There's there's just, you know, all shouting, swearing and stuff going on that, you know, in a Premier League ground, you would be ejected, you know, from be like, you know, here's the door, sir, out we go. Uh, at that level of football, it's, you know, if you, you can't eject kind of everyone who behaves like that because there'd be nobody left. <laughs> really have the diehards left now I kind of quite like it that way yeah uh, within reason that is so yeah, yeah old, when, old school stuff cold and wet as well all the time well, isn't yeah it? very cold and wet and just bonkers and so when yeah Newport I, I, I never thought I haven't said that I never thought Newport would play Brighton you know ever uh, and of course they did actually a few years back they played each other in the League Cup mm. late Justin Edinburgh was Newport's manager that was just yeah. before we started going to kind of watch them, just before I adopted them as my so-called second team. So I've got very fond of them since then. Been to see mm. most of their big cup games, seen them beat Leeds, seen them beat Leicester, saw them beat Middlesbrough at home on the most ridiculously rainy night I think I've ever been. <laughs> it, it beat, put it this way, it was rainier that night than Brighton versus Portsmouth at Fratton Park in 1984 when we lost 5-1. Yeah. 
and we were almost carried out under the Solent on the tide that day. There was so much <laughs> rain. And Ports, Portsmouth scored five goals in 13 second half minutes to beat. We were one nil up at half time. Danny Wilson penalty. And then Willie Young decided to have a kind of meltdown and Mark Hakeney ran ragged and, and we lost 5-1. Five in 13 minutes. That's very Albion. Be, yeah, very oh. Albion. Typical Albion. That's got to be some kind of record, isn't it? Five yeah. goals I, in 13 I've never, minutes. I've never known anything like it. That was the that was a Chris Catlin era, which I still mm. I still look back on fondly actually. And um yeah. but not, not that day. Not that day. No, at home we at home we were very defensively tight. Well, that was the year. That was the year. What we just talking about us beating Liverpool. That's mm. as you say, Pete. So so Albion. We beat Liverpool like about two months before that. Beat them out of sight, and then you go to Fratton Park, and yeah, concede five the, second the, half. The equivalent of that that I've always used is is the the famous Warsaw nine men game that we lost, and then yeah. Man City, who just become the richest team in the world. On, on penalties in the League Cup on like Wednesday afterwards. It's well, like, that was yeah, yeah. That was uh, um, yeah. That uh, yeah. Walsall at home. Um, what was the other game at the Amex where we went down nine men as well? Oh, uh, Burnley. Burnley, yeah. of course. Yeah, hmm. it's one of the one of the home games. I, I really that's one of my favourite games at the Amex because we we played so well and actually deservedly could have, could easily have got a draw in the end. Yeah, moral outrage, didn't we? Yeah, and we had an amazing like, atmosphere. And yeah. there was, well, that's what I was going to say. It's the best atmosphere I think yeah. I've known at, at the Amex. At, at I promotion kind of games. Yeah, that's when we adopted the Great Escape theme as well, wasn't it? I yeah. think that okay. yeah. yeah, game. Pretty sure. It, it's backs against the wall things that seems to really spur the Amex. It's like that Sheffield Wednesday playoff game when we were the underdogs massively after losing the first leg. We had yeah. a load of people out injured, and then Knockhart suddenly announced us being fit, and it's how he lifted everyone. And that was that to me is the half hour of the Amex, the first half hour is the best atmosphere. I've ever been in there. It was just amazing. It was well, it's of... a real, it's a real shit. Talking about atmospheres, I mean, I mean, I mean, Sunday's game at Newport is one of those games where, um, where you, you're really going to miss the crowd. I mean, it'll probably play into Albion's favour the fact that there isn't a crowd there because when there is a crowd, you know, it would be it would be the lowest attendance probably by distance for any Albion game this year, and yet I could probably vouch for the fact that it would be the best atmosphere. Because mm. because of what those fans bring to the occasion, they just you know I mean even when they play Forest Green at home in a normal kind of run of the mill league game, the atmosphere just doesn't stop. The place just rocks. So you can imagine what it's like on the big cup games. You know, throw a thousand Albion fans into the corner or sing it away as well. It would just be a great occasion, but sadly not to be. Yeah, it's a shame. As you said, it might be a benefit to us, which is the flip side of us missing out on getting to tick the ground off the list. But, um, you know, if, if we can get through, that would be great. Looking at the head-to-head, incidentally, um, Albion have won 37 games, uh, 12 have been drawn, and Newport have won 18. So they've done quite well against us. Um, not in the early stages, though. The first four games that we competed in, which were Division Three South, uh, 26th of Feb 1921, the very first game, we won 4 0 away uh, and then 1 0 at home. The following season, um, 3 0 at home and then 1 0 away. So we did the double in the first two years. We then lost the next match 1 0 again in a, a league season. Um, you mentioned the most recent game that you can remember was the uh, the Amex match, which was the 6th of August 2013, which I'm pretty sure was the first game of the season. It was before the league started, yeah, I that's think. Right. Yeah, and of course we lost, as, as you said, we lost 3-1 at home to Justin Edinburgh's Newport side. Um, 
that was significant for the fact that Calderon, purely by accident, um, was involved in an incident where their player had a nasty leg break as well, which uh, he yeah. was sent off for it, but it was rescinded afterwards. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember his. I'm trying to remember his name. The guy who's it was a career-ending yeah. injury as well. He never played. Oh, was it? Oh, right, right. Um, Sorry to hear that. Yeah, and it was one of those. It was a. It was a horror one as well. It was yeah. one of those, you know you think oh gold at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I was in the North Stand for it, and it happened pretty much most of the way down the other end of the pitch, down near the West Stand. Yeah, but I, I just remember even from there, I thought, oh, I'm glad I'm not not any closer to this because that that was pretty horrible. Yeah, um, that wasn't the last time we played each other, though. Actually, if you um, if you get slightly more kind of uh, elitist, shall we say, in in terms of the detail, football league trophy, we played each other in December 2019. Didn't go any better for the Albion. It was nil-nil. And then I think, I, I can't remember if it goes straight to penalties or, or what happens, but it's down as a nil-nil game, but a loss. So I'm assuming we must have lost yeah, they, they had, isn't it? Was it the group stages? Because they've done this thing about group stages where you have penalties anyway, even with a draw. And you get yeah. the, point for, the extra point for... Yeah, no, that was I, it. I must be showing my age because, I mean, Albion are my team and Newport are my second team. I have no memory of that whatsoever. No, nor do well, I. Well, it is, it is the Football League trophy, Spencer. It's, it's easy to forget. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but, you know, it's, 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 cup, it's, we would have knit on here and no doubt a lot of people listening to this, you know, we would classify ourselves as train spotters of this kind of particular. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. yet that has just, that just passed me by. Huh? Yeah. Well, those two games were um, both cup matches. Can you remember the previous meeting between the sides it's going a long way back I, I say remember again this is before your time as such but in terms of statistically or information wise did you ever hear about our previous match before oh, I don't know I would imagine it'd be in the 60s yep spot on it's um 26th of November 1966 at Newport yeah. um that was an FA Cup game and we won that one 2-1 so a repeat of that would be nice I've got to ask you though first any split loyalties given your second team and everything, uh, put you on the spot. No, not really. I mean, it's, <laughs> Albion, well, as, as fond of Newport as I am, I mean, I'll, you know, Albion's in the blood. You know, hmm. I wasn't born in Sussex, but I was raised there and stuff, and it's, yeah, it's just through and through. So there's no split loyalties. But that said, you know what? I'm quite glad I'm not going. I'm quite glad yeah, no one's I've a... been asked if I want a press pass. Um, no, I just want to kind of, I'm going to watch it on television. I'm going to sit back and I'm just going to enjoy the occasion. But it is going to be quite strange because, yeah, yeah it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm fond of, well, one is my club and the other club I'm very, very fond of. So I'm going to enjoy yeah. it either way. At least there's a there's a compensation one way or the other, isn't there? Um, either the Albion gets very great. And if the worst comes to the worst, you've got the, the bittersweet joy of having, thinking, well, at least, you know, you know what? second. If, if I... You know, it's 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 a strange one, this, because, you 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 know, I almost tend to think, well, who would it mean more to? You know, I mean, I mean, this is the thing with the FA Cup now is, you know, you go through a couple of rounds and then you feel the kind of, I'm not just saying about Brighton here, but clubs, you know, Premier League clubs in general. You know, then you feel like the F team away to whatever. And that renders the previous couple of matches, to me at least, it renders it worthless because it's like, well, what was the point of that? Hmm. So... Uh, I mean, you know, I, I would love nothing more than for us to get through to the final. But I don't think we will, because at some point we'll change teams around and we'll do whatever and we'll do what Premier League sides do. 
which is play kids or goats or sheep or cattle or whatever in some game and you're out the cup <laughs> because it's just what you do with the cup. Yeah, yeah we didn't do great. Last season wasn't great, was it? Sheffield Wednesday, at least said about that the better. That's actually the, as you'll know from the fact it's the anniversary episode, this one, yeah. that we, we was fresh off the back of a miserable home defeat uh, when we started. That's what I mean. I mean, it's like, that's why I won't be, you know, kind of jumping off the roof if, if, if Newport win. Because having been to a lot of their cup matches as a journalist and as a kind of, you know, I say as a fan, you know, a kind of honorary fan and whatever in the last few years, I know how much those FA Cup nights mean to that club and to those supporters. You know, it is, it's, it's, they are nights that will stay with them for the rest of their lives. Whereas, you know, FA Cup matches, you know, I mean, I remember, you know, 83 and our road to Wembley will stay with me forever. But can I list our FA Cup results from the last few seasons off the top of my head? No, not really. Maybe, well, last year because it was so bad. Season before that because we got to the semis. But before that, no, not really. That's you said, though. Yeah, exactly. So, well, we were dreadful last year and obviously got knocked out in the third round. But the two years before that are two of our only four years in our history that we got to the quarterfinal. I know. Yeah, even so. despite playing like backup players, got us quite decent runs. Yeah, we haven't got a great record in the cups, all things considered, through the years, have we? Um, has to be I, I grew up watching us lose to to Hereford and Sudbury and Kingstonian in my first few years. So, uh... <laughs> well, it was nothing, was it? Until I think I'm right in saying that until we reached the final in '83, the furthest we'd ever got was the fifth round. So that's what eighty-three years of never going further than the fifth round. Yeah, it was because our quarter, our quarter final was eighty-six, wasn't it? Or something like that. We've lost to so yeah, 80, eighty-five, eighty-six. We lost to we Southampton in the quarters. But that that cut run, that was that's some of my fondest memories. They were that was a mad cut run because all the games were snow games. We went to Newcastle in the snow and beat them two 0 That was Gascoigne and Beardsley's team. Uh, then we went to Hull. On the cold, one of the coldest days I've ever watched football, bone hard pitch, bit of snow, 1-3-2. They're all away games. And then we had this infamous mad game in the fifth round away at Peterborough. And Peterborough was just snowed in. And there was no way this game was going to go ahead. It was like, this can't go ahead. And it did. And there was, uh, it was ice. And on top of that, about five or six inches of snow when they played the game. I mean, anybody who was there will tell you it was one of the most memorable football days of their life for all the right and wrong reasons really I mean now it would just never happen because of you know health and safety as much as the crowd you know as the players uh, yeah it's funny, funny been... you mention weather because that's that's always been something I've, I've I was magically fascinated by you know I'm fascinated by the magic of the, the snow on the pitch and actually the last round of games there were some in, uh, some matches where you, you ended up with snow on the pitch um, in, in some you of the matches. End, you can end it, up with snow on the pitch. It's quite nostalgic. Definitely yeah. now. You know, they'll play yeah. on. There's no way that now that games start with snow on the pitch. You know, if there's any no. snow anywhere, it just won't go ahead. Yeah. That Peter, yeah. if you can find footage of it anywhere on YouTube, look at it. And even then, it won't do it justice. Yeah. It was, and we had, it was, it was another one. It was memorable as well because it was another one of those games all the Brighton fans were kind of squashed behind the, I think it was the oh, the end where most of the away fans used to go at Peterborough, but this is pre-seats and whatever. There was about six and a half thousand of us in that end, and it was far, far too tight. 
in mm. there. It was one of those pre-Hillsborough kind of matches which you look back on and you think, mm. yeah, there but for the grace of yeah. God, those yeah. really. And particularly when we went 1-0 down, equalised, 2-1 down, equalised. And I do remember, I think after one of those equalisers, you know, it got uncomfortably kind of tight in there. It really did. Uh, and then, of course, yeah, Hillsborough happened a couple of years later and you think, well, you know, we were all pushing our luck throughout all yeah. those years after all. Yeah. I remember Tim Vickery talking on the World Football phone in one episode and he was saying something about a similar experience. He just, I think it was an FA Cup semi-final. I think it might have been at Hillsborough, actually, or, or somewhere similar. And, and he was saying, you know, this feels like something's going to happen here. Even then, yeah. and uh, it's. Uh, I mean, Hillsborough had been an accident waiting to happen for years. Yeah. Numerous bits of footage of um, of games in the years preceding that that 1989 mm. one of fans spilling onto the uh, the pitch. And funnily enough, I was um, uh, I mean, older Albion fans all remember Graham Mosley, who was a very loyal mm. uh, servant to the club, Albion goalkeeper for many years, and was our our keeper in the in the final in 1983 when we lost. Yeah. United. But uh, Graham had been Derby's keeper in 1977 when they breached the semi-finals and had lost to Manchester United at Hillsborough. And he told me um, one time that he always remembers running out. Um, I think it was for the second half for that game uh, of the tunnel at Hillsborough and running towards the Leppings Lane end. And his instant reaction was, you know, there's too many people in there. I won't tell you exactly what he said, but it was a, a swear word beginning with F. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like there's way too many people in there. Uh, and that was 1977. So there were, F, I think, I think Hillsborough staged semi-finals, I think pretty much mm. every year until for the next 12 years until the accident that was waiting to happen finally happened. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, but going going back to the weather, of course, that might that might prove to be a, a factor this weekend. We have to uh, see if it will or not. Another factor that is already having an effect on the fixtures is, of course, the COVID scenario. Lots of outbreaks. Um, it's permeating the inner circles of various teams, isn't it? Now things have, as things have got worse, and we're in a lockdown again now. Of course, um, we've had um, the Southampton Shrewsbury games been postponed uh, due to a, an outbreak in the Shrews camp. And also Derby's training ground was closed and that, their games under threat, uh, their match with Chorley. Um, there's some talk of them maybe seeing if they have permission to play a youth team. I haven't caught up with the latest news whether that's still the case. But earlier today, they were talking about trying to see if they would be allowed to play a youth team in order to fulfil the fixture and not not have it hanging over them. Um, they're obviously struggling to avoid relegation, aren't they? Isn't there some kind of precedent with that, Russ, with, um, you know, the Spurs versus Lake Norian game? And yeah. Lake Norian wanted to play that, but were told they couldn't, and then would have to yeah. pull it, weren't they? So, yeah. I don't know how you um, one rule for the League Cup and one rule for the FA Cup. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe I suppose, if it's under EFL jurisdiction, I don't I don't know. But the, uh, the news that's just breaking as well is that there's a significant COVID-19 outbreak at Aston Villa. Um, they've got Liverpool scheduled Friday night, 7.45. So that one's under serious threat as well. I um, don't know what the exact status is, but I mean, this is uh, just to, as a broad point, um, as well as for the FA Cup this weekend, this is going to cause some problems, isn't it, if it continues for much longer in terms of getting postponements involved? 
I think it's exactly what uh, what I was saying in, in the first half of the show. You know, it's going back to that Groundhog Day feeling, not just in terms of Albion's form and where we are, but the fact that, all right, this time last year, we didn't know COVID was coming. Yeah. Uh, we didn't know there was going to be a break in the season, but I, I think I think a break in the season now is inevitable. It's going to have to happen, mm. really. Uh, it's yeah. just a question of kind of at what point, uh, it, you know, it will kick in. Um, mm. But yeah, inevitable. Yeah, well, we'll see, we'll see if we get our game um, done in time. Um, Newport, it's Sunday evening. It's live on TV, isn't it? Um, any predictions for the match? I'm going to just throw in a 2-1. I reckon we'll repeat what happened last time, but I'm not expecting it to be easy, and I wouldn't be surprised if we lost. Um, but I'll say 2-1 because I think Shakiri's going to play and will have an impact in the match. Um, Peter, do you want to go next? I wouldn't be surprised for a draw, but I don't think you can... I think it automatically has to be done to extra time and penalties now, doesn't it, rather than yeah. replays. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a one-all draw maybe after 90 minutes and maybe even go for penalties. And if it goes that way, then it's who knows. And anyone, whoever takes... Obviously, mm-hmm. the doubt, that's where the crowd really would make a difference. You know, the crowd does help with penalties. Yeah, yeah. I think... You know what, Peter? I, th- I think that's highly likely, actually. I think a draw and then penalties and who knows is, is yeah, on the cards. One thing I will say is if if Albion aren't at it or if they don't feel their strongest side or if they're not up for it in any way, shape or form, you know, even without the crowd, then Newport or Gobble them up. I've seen too many good teams go down there and, and yeah. come away with nothing over the years. So we've really got to be, you know, We've got to take them seriously. They're a they're a good little club. I, I'm assuming really club. You know, the League Cup team that played because I don't think they'll want to risk any of the key players, and we've already got a few injuries anyway. So yeah, if we can, if we can, a game. So I, I reckon they'll probably play a. a if we can reprise any of the form from the League Cup because that was a good little run we had there. Three or four games we played, didn't we? I think we won three, um, and we looked good doing it with effectively the reserves as it was well, then. So most of them still are. I think the one thing I would say as well is that, uh, I mean, you know, you know, if this game was being played four, five, six weeks ago, mm. I would possibly even have just gone for Newport outright. But they've had a yeah. bit of wonky kind of run of results since then. I don't think they're top anymore. They were top pretty no, much. I think Carlisle are now, aren't they? Yeah, Carlisle. I don't know where they've come from. But, um, but yeah, got, it's... Um, players this week as well, which is quite a big loss for yeah. them. Yeah, they've... Um, They've, yeah, they've, they've kind of, uh, I think Oldham went there um, a couple of weeks ago and won over Christmas as well to, uh, to not very great, Rodney Parade. Um, and so they're not, they're not at their, they haven't been at their best over the last few games. Um, hmm. So we might be playing them at the right time. Yeah, often. that's what I was, that's my thinking. Actually, I've noticed that a little bit of a drop off and, yeah. um, and I think we've, we've got a, reasonable depth in the squad on that on that basis I think we might just edge it but I wouldn't be surprised if we lost because I think Flynn's a great manager I think they're a good team I've seen some a couple of their games in extended highlights and I've seen um I'm watching the football league show every week and seeing their progress and they do look a really good team as I said maybe a bit of a drop-off now might benefit us yeah, you know we, we, we we're talking about you know managers and stuff who, who are in the game a long time and stuff I think I would like to see Flynn go on and do, you know, much as I wouldn't want him to leave Newport because he's he epitomises Newport. He's a local lad and everything, but he is going to get his chance in the game. 
uh, you know, higher up the, the 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 leagues without a doubt. I think I think the one thing that you know, I mean, he saved them from last minute relegation on the last day of the football season a few years ago when they beat Notts County two one. So he's kept them in the football league. He's got them on really good cup runs. The only thing that's missing really is a promotion in his CV. And I think if he gets them up this year, I think he'll be on to bigger and better things. I'd love to see him at the Albion somewhere further down the road. I really yeah. would. That'd be great. Yeah. Absolutely great. Maybe um, he will. He might have a chance to impress. Well, he will have a chance to impress. He might impress on Sunday. Um, I'm hoping on that occasion he won't, but we'll wait and see. Um, Spencer, that rounds off the episode. It's been great to have you on for our special anniversary edition. Um, been a pleasure. Second yeah, excellent. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, Peter, as always, it's been good, of course. And just final reflections, really, on the year. We've had some great guests. I mean, that, that Spencer bloke's been the best one, of course, of the lot. Um, who's been your favourite? Because we've, we've, had, we've had Tim Vickery. We've had Paul Barber, um, which have both been fantastic. We've had Kevin Day on fairly recently, Palace fan. And, of course, his cohort, Kieran Maguire, has been on. Uh, we had the Albion Raw guys and Andy Bass as well, who's connected with those those guys um we've got the manchester lads who we might get back on actually um our, our albion supporting manchester based nick and alistair hello to them um aside from those what have you been your favorites any any particular standouts well from my side i suppose obviously other, other than spencer who obviously is the best by a mile enough <laughs> Michelle Kuypers was really good I thought he was a, yeah. really good on the show really entertaining yeah great to chat through him through you know what was actually although obviously Wifteen was not the ideal setting he was there through some really good times and it was really good chatting to him and yeah, oh. getting, and, yeah I've, I've just realised you've been on three times actually Spence haven't you because you did the Gordon uh, the, with, the one I had with Gordon Smith as well which was Michael yeah. Robinson tribute yeah we did two in one day didn't we or am I ruining the match? no I think it was different days yeah yeah, it was, it was fairly close time-wise, but it was uh, different days. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you're right, actually. Now, God, it's um, this year just blurs, doesn't it? Really. Not only can I not does. remember the Newport versus Brighton games, but I can't remember the second time. Of course, I did. Yeah, of course, of course. Oh, I've done the hat trick. <laughs> you have, yeah. You're almost a semi-regular member of the squad now, brilliant. Um, we should say hello to Amir as well, our American. Brighton fan who uh, listens in regularly. Um, hello to you. He, he's been on the show. He came back in April, according to this. Um, flicking through as well, we had um, trying to think of us. David Townsend was good value as well. He got a lot of good feedback when he was on. Brighton fan and Seagulls over London member. Um, you mentioned Michelle Kuypers already. Um, and yes, your, yours was May when we had you on in your own right, Spencer. So that was technically yeah. your second appearance yeah, there, wasn't it? Yeah, right. um, we've had some other like Bill Herm was interesting as well, wasn't he, Peter, the guy that did the Black Football Pioneers? I don't know if you heard that one, Spencer. Yeah. But it was a yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah, it was interesting to hear a different view from things. We've we've had some fans of other clubs, um, Wigan, Aston Villa. Um, although that was to do with transfers, we were talking at the time. We've had uh, the Liverpool lads on from the Anfield Rap, which is good. Some friends and other acquaintances yeah, from West Ham as well. Chatting with the sorry, the, which the ones are? Yes, the Worthing fans. Yes, just going to say that. Yeah, that, that was our first non-league special and that was really good fun. Um, and we're going to get some guys on from there on again, actually, for another non-league special. We also had Brett, Brett Mendoza um, from the Caxton Arms and there he's struggling again because of the situation. Of course, the hospitality in, uh, 
situation with COVID. So there's an appeal at the moment, actually, which um, with, um, which I think he may have reached. I'm not sure now. Um, but, you know, it's a constant struggle for those guys. And... I was say with Brett as well. I mean, Brett is a lovely guy. I mean, yeah. he so much to support local causes um, and lost causes as well, such as myself. Because when I... Um, it's, it sounds like a plug, but it's not. When I did my last Albion book, which was the book about Clough, you know, Bloody Southern, mm. we had the launch for the book in the Caxton. Yes. Yeah. So, and it was just a great night. You know, loads of ex-players there, you know, people like Tony Towner and Sully and Andy Rollings there and whatever. And I mean, you know, Brett was just a brilliant host. It was just excellent. And um, yeah, I mean, if I don't know if it's reached its target or not yet. Yeah. But I would imagine any help yeah. that you can give the Caxton Arms or Brett would be much. Yeah, if you if you look him up, it's certainly worth um, helping him out. He, he he's a great guy. It's a great pub as well. Yeah. So on both counts, I think it's it's worthy of uh, attention. Um, yeah. yeah. In terms of others, I mean, we've had the gent on who's on our last episode, Raymond Wright. He's been on a few times. Thanks to our other regular contributors, Richard. Andy Bravery, Andy Knott, and Robin Woolley. Um, as I mentioned, David Townsend's also joined in for a few. Josh, who does the Together podcast. Um, we had Simon Tipple on. I don't know if you know him, Spencer. He uh, used to work behind the scenes at the club in a voluntary capacity. At one point, does the football manager. Good yeah. guy, really good guy. Hello to you, Simon. You're a regular listener, I know. And um, I'm trying to think who else we've we've had. I mean, there's I don't. I'm now put myself in a position where I'm going to leave somebody out. Oh, Johnny Cantor. Don't want to forget Johnny. Wow. Uh, great to have him on. And also Nick Schrapanek, who we've had as well um, in fairly recent times. Both excellent guests, actually. Really good value. Um, you can see where this is going to go wrong now, isn't it? Whoever, I'm going to leave somebody out somewhere. <laughs> so, um, but um, yeah, they've, they've all been good. And um, I, I'm just trying to think if, uh, if there's anybody else. Yeah, no, I can't think of anyone else. So we'll probably leave it there. But to, to everyone else, up Man U fans, Arsenal fans, we've had on a few others like that. Um, it's always great. We value it. I think it's um, it's good fun. We had Henry, didn't we, actually, for the other non-league podcast. Um, it's a young journalist. He was talking about Southwick's situation. Yeah. That was kind of interesting as well. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, Peter, anything else to add from our first year? Uh, yes, yeah, I just still can't quite believe we've done 100 episodes. It's uh... yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it, lockdowns helped definitely with that. Yeah, um, I, yeah. I don't think we did a hundred episodes in the normal year. Yeah. Say though, I mean, you say lockdowns helped. I think you've helped through lockdown as well. Because you oh, know, thank you. We've thank all reached for our kind of you know life belts, haven't we? At various points, you know, and uh, anything that kind of keeps you going or in this strange new world, um, and you've been part of that. So thank you, you two. It's, um, oh, it's very kind of you to say. We're comfort to a lot of people, a lot of entertainment as well. So yeah, yeah, well done, you two. Thanks. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. And um, yeah, just a couple of others. Um, Joe Kokotza from Fanslide. Thanks to him, and also to the Fulham ladies who joined us, Sandy Bravery's friends. They were good value as well. Um, and Alison, actually, thinking about Alison, another. Uh, seagulls over London member. I think I've covered most of it anyway. But no, it's very kind of you to say, Spencer, because I think. Um, it makes it all worthwhile. We'd probably just rab it on, even if nobody was listening, to be honest, and just keep banging them out yeah, anyway. It's definitely helped me, to be honest, as well. Just you know, <laughs> yeah. it's quite enjoyable, you know, to just, yeah. I, mean, I always like to about football, maybe over a beer yeah. sometime, maybe, you know, other times like now over a cup of tea and just, yeah, yeah it's been a 
a way of just ranting a little bit sometimes. It's good. The challenge, the challenge will be that, you know, when we do start to go back to normal in 2028 or 2029 or whenever it will be, is, you know, <laughs> will, will you keep it up? Will you keep going? Or will things like this, these organic things, you know? Yeah, kind of... well, we started off in a pub, so I think probably we'll go, you know, there will be a, a yeah. few more maybe going back to uh, our favourite pub in... Uh, in borough in borough where you get you can get like a chicken tikka pie and the best yeah, just, in yeah it's all it's all I'll, just going to be a... I'll, I'll, uh, whenever you have that meeting i think i'll i'll just drop by as um, <laughs> long You're very welcome. anything um... to get out and to see a pub really it's... yeah that that pie and those beers are really good i have to say yeah. and it's just going to be a slurrier version of what we've been doing for most of the year to be honest i think when we when what we get back to normality on, that was brilliant. Mm. <laughs> Indeed. And yeah, it's, it's, it's been good good fun. I think the highlight for me is my wife calling us middle-aged potatoes, uh, Peter, which are, is the name of one of our earlier episodes. Um, I thought that was a charmer. Um, typical well, seven, of her. Seven days, uh, four middle-aged men or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. At least one that's how he described us on the price of football. I think, thanks, thanks, Kevin. Lovely. <laughs> I, haven't, um, I haven't listened to the Kevin one yet. Was he good value? He was really. He was good. actually. Yeah. yeah, he's a top fella. Really nice guy. And I um, mentioned him, especially being a Palace fan, is one of the top ones. But he was actually really good entertainment. Well, you know, you've got to engage with the enemy every now and then, haven't you? He's written a book, hasn't he? Who are you? Which I, yeah. I really want to read at some point about, you know, why we kind of um, have teams, you know, or, or was it reasons why you shouldn't support yeah. different clubs, isn't it? Yeah. He mentioned that at about Albion. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's. I've I've heard tell that his the. The entry under Brighton and Hove Albion, and that is hilarious. Yeah, it is good, yeah. 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 Flying rats, I think we were referred to as, amongst other things, yeah. Did he say something like he said that he would do the book, but he told his agent, or the publishers rather, he said he'd do it on condition that there was just a blank page in <laughs> Hove Albion. So yeah. it's like yeah. Dylan Shackleton, you know, he's he's uh, the, the ex-football manager, you know, in his autobi- or, or player as well, in his autobiography in the 50s or 60s. It was like there's one chapter which is basically the uh, the general amount of knowledge of the average kind of football director, and it's a blank page, and that's <laughs> what Kevin wanted to do in his book. That's right. That's exactly what he said. Yeah, and he also said he wanted to he wanted to publish it with Brighton wherever mentioned in with a small b, uh, yeah. but he was told it was too petty. So uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's all good fun. Yes. They weren't there, Palace. You really would. They make life more interesting. Love and more hate. Absolutely, absolutely. I think you know he said the same about us. He did sort of uh, uh, events to new fundraisers when we were in trouble because yeah. he said, "Well, we hate them, but we wouldn't want them to not be there." No, I feel the same way. Yeah. The same yeah. way. yeah, And I've got to say the unwritten thing as well. God, if Zaha played for us, oh, oh yeah. That's the thing. It's the one player element that's just sparks in the head of where we are in the table. It's frustrating. Well, I, used to, I used to feel about Palace um, about like that when they had Vince Hilaire as well. Uh, Vince hmm. Hilaire was a great winger, right winger for them back in the in the late seventies and early eighties, and he was he went on to play for Pompey against us many times as well. Yeah, he was just one of those wingers you just used to look at and you just think, oh, if you played for us, oh. yeah, I like I, I like Vince Hilaire. Yeah. There was something exotic about the whole thing, you know, I'd, as a young, impressionable guy, not really knowing much about football at first, going and watching games. And there's, there's these interesting, it's, it's the kits and the colours of the kits and the just the, the variation of the different types of players. And Vintelaire was one that stood out for me. I remember him in my sticker book as well, yeah. Panini sticker book. 
yeah. but and Palace, of course, is where I, I met you, isn't it? The Palace of Selhurst <laughs> away, yeah. Um, <laughs> Which is a whole entire episode. Exactly. Of that the, one, basically. The McShane game. I'll never forget that one. Not I'll a never classic. That night. Yeah, I should have just. You know what? I should have just drawn a life under my football supporting. Or, <laughs> yeah. Drawn a line rather under my football supporting life for that night because it's. It was such an amazing night. And you win 1-0. And yeah. we went to the pub afterwards and Pete Townsend happened to be playing a gig there. Yeah. And, and we won that, I won that money as well. And you won that bet. And it's just one of those nights where it's just think, it's not going to get any better than this. Yeah. And yeah. it probably won't. And it hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't and it won't. <laughs> and that... On that note, uh, here we go. Looking forward to the game against Newport. <laughs> I'm changing mine to 2-1 Newport now, I think. <laughs> oh. Guys, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining me for this special one. Peter, uh, we'll be back for the, next, for, the, uh, for the review, of course. The dreaded review, maybe. Um, until then, everybody, stand or fall. Up the Albion. Up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.